0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. My name is Becky Morrison, and I'll be reading from 1 John, chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Dear friends, let us love each other, because love is from God. And everyone who loves is born from God and knows God. The person that does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how the love of God is revealed to us. God sent his only Son into the world so that we can live through him. This is love. It is not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as the sacrifice that deals with our sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Becky, thank you for reading the scripture today. Appreciate you doing that. All you need is love. Many of you are familiar with that 1967 Beatles song. All you need is love. All you need is love. Love, love, love is all you need. Am I right? That's about the extent of the lyrics of the whole song, right? About four minutes of that. Uh, and I guess that's appropriate. If, you, if all you need is love, you don't need all those other lyrics. Well, about 10 years ago, uh, artist CeeLo Green, any CeeLo Green fans in the room? <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple. CeeLo Green did a song, All I Need is Love, and it, it's a Christmas song. Uh, he sang, Actually, it was on Sesame Street. He sang it with the Muppets, a pretty fun uh, video. You can look that up later. Uh, and, and, but the, the point of it is, that in spite of everything else, you know, I mean, you have, uh, you know, all the decorations and all the songs and all the Christmas sweaters and all the food and all the stuff. All you really need is love. I mean, that's kind of the central point of the Christian message at Christmas that God so loved. That's what it's all about. We are in the season of Advent. Uh, Advent, the word means coming or arrival, so it's the anticipation, the preparation of the arrival of the birth of Jesus. This is the beginning of the Christian year, Advent is. We don't start the year at Christmas because if any, if any of you have ever had a child born into your home, you know that really it begins with the preparation and the anticipation. So we are anticipating the birth of Christ that we will celebrate on uh, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. Um, and so, throughout Advent, we light Advent candles, and each week we have a different theme from hope, joy, peace, and today, love. Now, most of us have a pretty basic understanding of the Christmas story, uh, no doubt. A lot of people have, even, even people who aren't all that, wouldn't consider themselves a churchy person have some understanding of the Christmas story that Mary and Joseph uh, were engaged and, and, and she was, uh, found to be with child, but God intervened. That angel spoke to both Joseph and Mary and said, something bigger's going on here. Hang in there because God is making sure that, that the Savior is going to be born into the world through you. You are the vessel of God's love into the world. You will name him Jesus. And so, they so they hung in there and then and then of course then they went to Bethlehem where Jesus was born and then the angels sang to the shepherds and the shepherds came to see the baby and you know we know the we kind of know the story. In some ways it's it's difficult and a, a challenge when we're so familiar with the story. Because you can someone can say well you know what happened on Easter oh yeah 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 I know the story. You know the, you know the Christmas story, yeah, 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 I know the Christmas story, and sometimes we don 't kind of keep digging down or looking at it from a different angle. I sometimes think all these stories have different facets, and sometimes you just need to turn the story just a little bit to see new truth in it and so we 're going to imagine this a little bit differently today as we talk about Mary and joseph, Mary and Joseph. As a love story, as a love story in the time that they would be uh, getting married and starting a family. Now, in the ancient world, uh, arranged marriages were pretty much the order of the day. Uh, There are still places on the planet right now that have arranged marriages. And and certainly in our day and time and in our culture, we don't look upon those all that favorably. Um, But we need to know in the the ancient world when those were done that those weren't just simply transactions. They weren't just simply a a giant power differential on the side of the male. They weren't just simply the exchange of money for someone could get married to someone else. It wasn't simply that. Can you find examples where that happened? Sure. You can always find examples, you can always find the exception. But in those arranged marriages, it is not unknown that there would be actually love between the couple. There's plenty of evidence of loving relationships that developed. For one thing, this is all they knew. This is all they knew. So that's what this is what they worked with, that they truly truly developed a love for one another. So we're going to look at this from the, from the viewpoint of uh, ancient Jewish marriage customs, and, and there were three parts to it. I'm going to just tell you what those three parts are, and then we're going to go back and talk about each three, each of the three. Uh, and, and in that, we're going to see some parallels between not only in the ancient Jewish marriage ritual, but also parallels in the ways that God loves us and invites us into a relationship. So, the ancient Jewish marriage customs, you had stage one was the contract, or the ketubah. And that, this was, uh, the contract that was entered into on the part of the families, generally the fathers, of the woman and the man. Then you had the huppah the second part huppa which was kind of the engagement period we think we would think of it as an engagement period where we're really getting to know each other and then ultimately the consummation of the marriage and then after that you have the feast the marriage feast so we'll start with the contract with ketuba so mary's father would have sought out joseph he would have gone to joseph to say my daughter, Mary, is of marrying age, and I think you'd make a great husband for her. Now, how did how did that transpire? Did, did Mary's father see Joseph himself and think he'd be a great husband, or did Mary say, hey, Dad, I know I'm a marrying age, and have you noticed Joseph? We don't know how that happened. But somehow or another, it was thought that Joseph would be a good husband for Mary, and so, and so her father would go to meet with him, and then probably meet with his father, and there would be some kind of conversation about, okay, what's, what's, the, what's the arrangement going to be? Now, often this was a financial arrangement in the ancient world. And, the, and this financial arrangement would have been money for, to, in, for the privilege of marrying Mary. Now, rabbis insist that this began as a way to protect the woman that if in the event that things would fall apart, she would have some, something to fall back on. So they would have gone and they would have worked this out and they would have uh, come to an agreement. Now at this time, probably in, in most customary ages, uh, Joseph would have been like 19, 20 years old. Mary would have been quite a bit younger. In, in that day and time, in that culture, uh, early teenagers were considered of marrying age. We don't think that now. Um, but that that would have been the case then and so they would have uh, entered into this agreement and they would have written all of it down i mean literally in a contractual form and they would have signed it and technically they were married at that moment legally this was binding they were married now mary would have continued to live in her father's house But they would have entered into the second phase. Now, we'll get to the second phase in just a minute, but let's consider this first part, this contract. In some ways, this reflects the ways that God has shown God's love toward us, because God loves us first. God comes to us 100% committed to us already, not waiting to figure out if you're going to get your life together, or are you going to Are you going to be able to answer, you know, questions about the Bible? No, God just loves us, and God invites us into relationship first step, 100%. God is all in and invites us to be all in in this committed relationship together. We'll figure out some things going forward, but initially, God invites us into this relationship I mean, we, we think of the sacrificial love that God showed that uh, we sang it a while ago, God, for God so loved the world that gave His only Son, that, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but would have eternal life, and that we remember that He did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him the world would be saved. That This is a sacrificial love. God is 100%, no strings attached, fully pers- committed right now, and invites us into a relationship. God invites us to sign up. In a sense, God says, I've signed the contract. Why don't you sign it too? So then, after you you enter into the relationship, you have the second phase, HAPA, the engagement period, you might say. That once we're committed, we spend the rest of our lives learning more about the nature of God. We learn more about the meaning of the Scripture. We learn more about the, the living and the practice of a Christian life. We continue to learn these things in the context of a committed relationship with God. As opposed to, well, we're just going to kind of try this out, God. Or God saying to us, well, we'll we'll try this out and see if you're going to be okay. And I'm going to, no. God's committed to us, invites us to commit to God so that we can continue to learn and grow in the committed relationship. And so Mary and Joseph enter into that time period. Technically, they are bound together, but this is the time to get to know each other. And so we think of it as the engagement period, as the time that they are they are spending time doing these things. And I know this is a little bit backward from what we think of our relationships. We kind of want to start with just, you know, we we get to know each other, we're friends, we hang out, maybe we go out on a date. Can we call it a date? You know, that kind of thing. And then... You know, Then we start to get serious, and then eventually the engagement, then eventually the, the uh, uh, commitment. Well, they, they go at it really kind of backwards. They commit. And you have to wonder if in that commitment, I mean, with the mentality, this, this kind of needs to work. If you're more prone to trust, would we be more prone to give the benefit of the doubt, more prone to assume positive intent? I mean, that might be something good for us in our relationship with God. When things happen we don't understand, even when terrible, tragic things happen that just break our hearts and we're like, why God? Maybe we default to trust. And I don't know the whole answer yet. So they build this relationship, Mary and Joseph. And as they continue to build this relationship, I mean, just imagine then the effect the distressing effect of the news that she would be with child. Because Joseph would be thinking, well, I've not been involved here, so clearly there's a problem. Now, And so he considered what? He considered to divorce her, which is, would have been the right thing because, they remember, they're already married. They're already committed. So a divorce would have been appropriate if he had chosen to go through with that. But the angel came to him and said, Joseph, you need to know... There's some things happening here that are above your pay grade. You, you don't know, but I'm just going to tell you, Mary is carrying the child who is going to be the Savior of the world. His name is Jesus. And so you need to hang in there with her through this. And the angel goes to Mary and says, Mary, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and, and you will give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. He will be the son of the Most High God. And, and your cousin as well, Elizabeth is with child. Elizabeth, who is a much older woman, who has never had a child, all of a sudden she, has, she is going to have a child. Who, do you remember, anybody remember who that child was? John the Baptist. Right. Jesus' cousin. The one who will go before, who says prepare the way of the Lord. All of this is going on. There's more going on than you know or understand. The call is to just hang in there and be faithful. Now, in our day and time, I want to be sure to say, because I know there are those who would say, yes, you just, you know, at all costs, stay in the relationship. And this, friends, we're talking about a couple who love each other. We're not talking about those abusive situations that no one should stay in. That's not what we're talking about. If we're talking about a couple that love each other and some things emerge and develop. It's like, I'm not sure what this means. And so they hang in there. Mary and Joseph hang in there together through this time. Something more is coming. God is not finished yet. Now, ultimately, Mary and Joseph are going to move in together. So through this Huppah time period, usually around a year, Joseph would be preparing a place for them to live once they were able to consummate the marriage. And so, um, so he would have been preparing this place, and so uh, when it's the appointed day, when they, a day they've decided on, well, Joseph and his family would be in his father's home, and they would, family, friends, they would gather the whole wedding party, and they would go to the home of Mary, where she would have her friends and family all gathered around. And then they would all go to the place where they would have the ceremony, a brief ceremony, and the place where they would have prepared for them to live, and so there would be a brief ceremony, and then Mary and Joseph would consummate the marriage, and then when they, when they emerge, you go to the third phase, and that's the wedding feast. Now we do this, uh, certainly the, the marriage feast, we do this as, re- as reception. Sometimes they're very simple, sometimes they're more elaborate, uh, or put it another way, sometimes they're less expensive, sometimes they're really, really expensive uh, in our day and time, right? Uh, but, but it's a celebration, it's intended to be a celebration, it, out, of, out of joy for the couple who have come together. for uh, it's, a, it's a time that we remember our own blessings. We remember our own commitments. And it becomes a, a special time for everyone. And so this marriage feast would last seven days. Now, that doesn't mean it was all one party the entire seven days. They'd have the initial day, and then there would be types of celebrations for seven days. So this was a big time. Now, we know a little bit about this just from the story of Jesus, Jesus' first miracle in John chapter 2, right? When he was at a wedding with his mother, Mary, they were at a wedding in Cana, and the host ran out of wine to give to the guests for the wedding feast. And so he tur- Jesus turned water into wine. So these wedding feasts were a big deal. The idea of a feast is to celebrate, to remember and be grateful. To rekindle your own commitments. To invite God to continue to do miraculous things in the world. That at a time as Christians, people of faith, we, we, we celebrate that God is love, as the Scripture says. We celebrate that God gives love through His Son, Jesus Christ. And then as people in the committed relationship with God, God's love flows through